service. Open your Bibles to 1 Kings 17. And before we get started, I want to introduce the message this way. That there comes a time in every person's life where you just need to make a decision. There comes a time in every person's life where you need to make a decision. Here's why. Because the facts are in. It's clear. The information is in. And all that remains, all that's left, all that's on the table is a choice. A choice, a decision. It's time to stop putting it off. You know what you need to do. You know what you ought to do. Hey, what about this? You know what you have to do. And how many of you have found yourself in that spot and yet found it hard to pull the trigger? Hard to just say amen. That's it. I'm going for it. I'm going to do it. Have you been there before? You know, there comes a time when in between and indecision are only making matters worse. Sometimes in the middle of it all, we're, we're sitting here in a wavering position. I don't know. Maybe, well, I could. And we're in this moment of indecision. And honestly, things are just getting worse. It's not gray anymore. It's time to make a decision. And I want you to know that when that time comes, God will help you. He is right there. Now, let's go to the Bible and let's see what God has to teach us from the Old Testament. But like we've already decided here at Gospel Light, these stories in the Old Testament were not just written for them. They were written for us. Us, you and I. And so 1 Kings chapter 17, let me introduce you to the characters in this story. There's two, two main characters. Look in verse 1 of chapter 17. And Elijah the Tishpite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead. Who exactly is Elijah? Well, Elijah is considered by most everyone to be the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. Incredible man in the the word of God. Incredible. In fact, he's mentioned quite a bit in scripture. But if you were reading the Bible for the very first time. And you're going through it. And you're like trying to figure things out. And you're stopping every now and then to say who is this and who is this. I've never heard of this guy before. If you were reading your Bible and came to 1 Kings chapter 17 verse 1. For the first time in scripture you would come to this character named Elijah. And you would say wow who is this guy. Well let me tell you who this guy is. He's one of two people in all of the Bible who never died. In fact, when it came to the end of Elijah's life, when God was ready for Elijah to go to heaven, he just sent a chariot first class. Said, Elijah, we're going to skip that process and just come on straight up to heaven. Let me tell you something else about Elijah that might be interesting for you to know. In the New Testament, there was a place called the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus went to the top of it with two of his, or three of his disciples. And when Jesus got to the top of the mount, There were two visitors, two guests he allowed to be there. One, I don't think any of us are really surprised by, Moses. It's not a surprise to me. Moses is just, I mean, if I was guessing and didn't know, I'd say it had to be Moses. I mean, Moses is one of the greatest leaders in the Bible, and and you'd be right. But the second was Elijah. Elijah was there with Moses on that Mount of Transfiguration, that incredible high event in the life of Jesus and those disciples. Wow. Elijah was a special person in Scripture. 
And so I want, you to, I want to introduce you to Elijah, but I want to tell you who the second character is. In chapter 17, verse 1, it says that Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab. Now, you know, every now and then you'll meet somebody who's named their kid Elijah. In fact, we have an Elijah sitting on the second row. Thomas and Claudia thought, probably of this Bible character, when they named him Elijah. He said, you know, it's a good name. And, and Elijah had a good name. Let's, let's name our, our firstborn Elijah. Anybody ever named a kid Ahab? Any Ahabs in here? <laughs> There's a reason. You see, Ahab was a wicked king. And Ahab married somebody by the name of Jezebel. Boy, if there is a Jezebel in here, I'm, I'm not going there. I'm telling you for sure. Whoo! Never met one. Don't know anybody that would dare name their girl a Jezebel. But Ahab married Jezebel. And what they did was they got together and they became a wicked team. And they taught the people of Israel how to worship false, a false god by the name of, somebody tell me, Baal. Baal was a, a sex god, a god of infertility, a god who was immoral, this, a false god, a non-existent god, no doubt, a little g-god, but a wicked, wicked, perverse worship. In fact, when I went to decide whether or not I would actually describe to you Baal worship, I just felt like it was totally inappropriate in a public forum like this. You're welcome in your small groups to maybe study just a little bit. It is so perverse. It would make you so angry to know how these people were taught to worship the false god of Baal. And a lot of it has to do with children. It's disgusting. And yet this is what Ahab and Jezebel taught the people of Israel to do. To worship these false gods. So you have an idea of who Ahab is, of who uh, Elijah is. And notice here what Elijah said to Ahab. Would you look at verse 1? As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain for years until I say so. Until I say, until I give the word, no more rain and no more dew. You say, what's the significance of no more dew? I mean, if it ain't going to rain. Hey, look, if it's not going to rain, dew's kind of a blessing. At least the ground would be moist and maybe get a little water, right? There's not even going to be any of that. Judgment had come. If you look down at verse 7 to see what came to pass here, it says, and it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up. There'd been, been no rain in the land. God basically said, you're not going to live the way you've been living and get the regular everyday blessings from me. Do you think that might be where America's at today? Could it be that our country has come to a place where God says, you're not going to live, America, the way you're living and get the everyday blessings that you've been getting from me? Judgment has come. And now we go to chapter 18 and verse number 1. Things are getting desperate. It's getting worse. And after many days, many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. I'll say many days. That's a lot of time. That's two years, maybe two and a half years. Here we have no rain, no dew in the third year. This was an agricultural society. They were in trouble. 
And he said, go show thyself unto Ahab, and I'll send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab. And there was a sore famine in Samaria. And Ahab called a guy by the name of Obadiah, which was the governor of his house. My Bible has a parenthesis that begins right here, and maybe yours does too. Basically, what God wants to do is give us a little side note about Obadiah. And he says, here's, just, just, just so you'll know, Obadiah, he feared the Lord greatly. It was so when, Ed, when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. So we got a pretty good, good old boy here. And Ahab says to Obadiah, go into the land and to all fountains of water. Obadiah, go to all the brooks you can find. Try to find, peradventure, any water, any grass to save the horses and mules alive so that we lose not all of the beast. Ahab is desperate. Wouldn't you think and maybe agree with me that the last person to be gravely affected by this famine would be the king? He'd be the last one to die. He'd be the last one to take the last drink of water in the entire land. Ahab has come to a place where he is saying to his servant, find anything you can find just to keep the animals alive. We're in trouble. Verse 6. So they divided the land between them to pass throughout it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. And as Obadiah, verse 7, was in the way, behold, Elijah met him. They knew one another. Obadiah had great respect for Elijah. He falls down, it says in verse 7, he says, Lord, art thou that my Lord Elijah? And and Elijah answered and said, I am. Go tell uh, thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. Now, we're going to fast forward here, but let me just tell you what happens. There's quite a bit of dialogue that goes on between Obadiah and Elijah. A little bit of conversation, ultimately. Ultimately, what happens is Obadiah goes to Ahab and says, Ahab, Elijah is in the house. And he's got something he wants to say. So let's fast forward to verse 17, shall we? And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Are you the dude that's been, been the reason why all of this is happening? <clears throat> Ahab is upset with Elijah. And Elijah just fires right back, bold as ever. I've not troubled Israel. You're the one that's troubled Israel. And thy father's house, and that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed Baal. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel, every bit of the country. Go to Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. Here we are, folks. We are at a pretty intense spot of this story, aren't we? We've got a conversation going on between Elijah and Ahab. We've got Ahab that's breathing some some anger towards Elijah. We've got Elijah saying, I'm not the one that's the problem, bro. You're the problem. In fact, go get all of your prophets and go get the entire country. Bring them to Mount Carmel. Let's get it on. Let's now look at our principles today. This is why we came to church. You ready? It's time now to discover why in the world is Eric Capace preaching this particular passage and why is the Holy Spirit desiring to speak to my heart? We had a great service at 9 o'clock. We had a lot of folks at the altar and we had two very big decisions made. It was awesome. I believe that God is going to call 
all of us and maybe even some to come to the altar this morning to make a hard decision. One you've been putting off. The facts are in. The information is in. It's time to decide. All right, let's see here. Look at verse number 21. So Elijah comes to all the people and says, how long halt ye between two opinions? So number one, write this down. The very first thing is this. Get off the fence immediately. Let's make a decision. Get off the fence. How long are you going to be in between two decisions? Because you'll find in Scripture, God doesn't like indecision. God doesn't like us to be lukewarm or in between exactly what we're going to do. So he says, how long halt ye? H-A-L-T. You know that word halt means? Halting means this, wavering. Can I describe wavering to you and see if you vote for this to be a yes answer? Wavering. I'm wavering. Erica Basie is wavering. I'm like, I don't know. This, maybe I should do that. But, you know, that's got some pros and that. Well, that's got some cons. But that's got some cons. I don't, I, you know, I'm just, I'm wavering. Another word that I found it to, be, to mean is this, limping. Just kind of limping along. Or hesitating. Back and forth, back and forth. How long? That's Elijah's question. That's our question today. That's God's question for you in this room. The the God of the universe, the creator of all the earth says, how long are you going to be in between two decisions about that? Enough already. How long? The Bible doesn't say anything good about indecision. The Bible is not complimentary about lukewarmness. And I have found that the most miserable people in all the earth are so-called Christians who are living in between. They're the most miserable people I've ever met. They're in between a yes or a no. And as you fill in that particular note on the screen, the most miserable people in all the earth, I want you to ask yourself that question again. How long? In this story, it had been two years of no rain. At what point did not someone say, okay, okay, I'm going to make the right decision. It's obvious that God means business. How long? How long? Let's make a decision. Let's get off the fence. Look at verse 22 in our text. Then Elijah says to the people, oh, let me, let me read you one more thing. I forgot to read you something that I really like. It's really good for the preacher here. This is a good plug for every preacher today in America. Look at this. Can we read verse 21 again so I can give my little plug? Elijah comes to all the people and says, How long halt ye, waver ye, between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. Make up your mind. If you're going to follow God, follow God. If you're going to follow Baal, follow Baal. And the people answered him not a word. You say, Brother Eric, what is that? That is every Sunday morning at church. That's how I feel sometimes. Really, I just think, I think that's what, how Elijah felt. It's, you give it and... Until next Sunday. We don't say much, we don't talk about it much, we don't make much decision, we don't really think about it. Nice message, good thing, but you know what? I'm not changing. I'm going to stay right here, my little comfort zone. That's what I think the message is there. The people didn't say anything. He just sort of stood there. 
Then said Elijah, I even, I only, I'm the only one who remains a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450. Let them therefore give us two bullocks. Let them choose one bullock for themselves. Cut it in pieces. Lay it in the wood. Put no fire under it. And I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under it. And call in the name of your little G gods, small G. And I'll call on the name of Yahweh, capital L, Lord, the creator of the universe, the God that answereth by fire. Let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Let's go. Let's get it on. Let's not live anymore in between. Somebody's right. Somebody's wrong. Let's, let's go. So what are some things that we can be on the fence about? Let's stop for just a moment and let's talk about a few things that maybe each of us could say, yeah, that's me. I'm I'm there. Some of these, you you may feel as if you're not there. But maybe all of us could identify one of these five. The first one, I think, is mainly for the young people here, I think. Maybe not only for the young people, but I think mainly for the young people, and that is this. First of all, number one, some things we're on the fence about is this, now versus the future. Sometimes we can be on the fence about that. We just really don't know exactly what we're living for, and I want our young people to listen up today. Are you going to live for now or the future? Don't offer your future on the altar of the immediate Last Wednesday night's message, if you were able to be here, and many of you were, you heard a great message, a powerful message on the fact that God is a generation God, a generational God. And you know, it was really emotional for me to be up here with my son and my daughter, but representing Lainey, my granddaughter, and to see three generations in this church serving God in my family now. We mentioned Sonia has four generations in her family serving God in this church. God is a generational God. God doesn't want us to have an old people church, a young people church, a middle-aged church. God wants us all to worship together. God wants us to all use our unique gifts, talents, and abilities together. He is a generational God. But God is saying today to all of us, hey, don't forget, there's a reason why you need to be faithful and keep this thing going. Because you've got some grandkids that need this church one day. And so I say to every young person, don't give yourself to a Saturday night pleasure that you're going to regret for the rest of your life. I said, every dad in here, don't give yourself to a little porn pleasure that you're going to enjoy for just a minute. By the way, does the Bible say sin is pleasurable? Sure does. It definitely does. And by the way, I found out sin can be pleasurable. But just for a season. Just for now. Just for a few fleeting moments. Just for the moment. And too many of us are satisfying the flesh, living for the moment, throwing the future away. Throwing it away. Not thinking about our families, our grandchildren, our legacy. What God wants to do with our lives, determine in your heart now, my life is about this. What is your life about? My life is about my family, my wife and kids. My life is about this church. 
My life is about serving God. My life is about, I mean, I could give you some things, but they all, I'm going to live for those things. That is going to be, I'm going to make up my mind. My, my life is about this. And stick with it. Number two, let's get off the fence when it comes to wrong versus right. Wrong versus right. You know, when right is clear or when wrong is clear, make up your mind. God help me. I am going to do what's right. I'm going to do what's right for my family. I'm going to do what's right for my God. I'm going to do what's right for my future because you will never turn out right doing wrong. Ever. Not once. You'll never turn out right doing wrong. Get off the fence. Number three, let's get off the fence when it comes to sight versus faith. Which one are you going to live by? Sight or faith? No in between. God's word says we ought to walk by faith and not by sight. Am I going to make my decisions based on what I see? Or am I going to walk by faith? Number four, let's get off the fence when it comes to me versus others. Who am I truly to live for? What is my life going to be about? Well, I'm going to tell you what I believe this morning without any hesitation. That the greatest joy in life is spending your life for others. That's the greatest joy in life. There is no greater joy than living your life for somebody other than yourself. Amen. We were getting ready this morning at the house about 6.30 and my wife was putting her makeup on and getting all tidied up, you know, and <clears throat> I was brushing my teeth and shaving, and, and she said, man, did you get to see that Razorback game yesterday? A little personal illustration here. It's just cool the way this happened. God did this for me, taught me some things. And you can tell the illustration is fresh because it's this morning that God showed me this, honestly. And I said, she goes, man, it went four overtimes. And I said, you know, I didn't get to see it. She goes, that's surprising. She goes, because you, you know, she knows I love the Razorbacks, and Man, 11 o'clock, the game was four hours, right? Started at 11, ended at 3. And uh, we didn't have the car show yesterday, so, man, we had the whole day off. You know, it got rained out. Perfect day to watch the Razorbacks. I said, no, I didn't get to watch the Razorbacks. See, what I did yesterday was I, I, I would have liked to watch it, and I'm not saying it would have been wrong to watch it, but I'm saying I found out that this me versus others thing that the greatest joy in life is serving others? Because what I would want to do is I'd want to sit in front of the television with, with chicken wings and watch a Razorback game. But you know, I know, I know old Cliff Kaufman hadn't been feeling too well, so I decided I'm going out to old Cliff's. I called him. I said, Cliff, you got any time? He said, yeah, come on out. So I went out to Cliff's, and I got there. Man, we had the time of our lives. We just sat there and did, did all the fun Cliff things you do when you go out, when you hang around with Cliff. Eat weird stuff, eat pecans, and drink kava coffee. You know, even if you don't know what that is, it's just weird coffee. And, uh, you know, Luke, heat up almond milk. <laughs> I did it all, man. I did it all. I sat in the old chair that looks like it needs to go. You know that chair? It's a great chair. Oh, yeah, I sat in it. Cliff, Cliff taught me why it's the best chair ever created. It was awesome. We just had two hours. Well, Dave walks in about 30 minutes and says, hey, preacher, and we talking. And Dave says, you know, the Razorbacks are on. And, and I looked at Cliff, I said, yeah, we'll turn it on, maybe we watch that a little bit. And, and we thought about turning it on, but it just never came up again. I mean, I don't think it's because we didn't want to turn it on, it's just, we just got to enjoying one another. I just, I really miss Cliff, really miss him being here, you know? So I just, 
We just talked right through the game. And finally, it got time to go, and, and, I, and I left, and Caroline picked me up at, the, at his house, and we, we went on, and then I decided I'd go see Leroy and Sandy Pavlovich in the village. Now, Leroy and Sandy aren't here today. They're older folks. They have a hard time getting around sometimes, and they told me if it's raining, they probably wouldn't come. Leroy and Sandy are, oh, they're, they're elderly folk. They live in the village as sweet as cherry pie. But Leroy and Sandy said, right, we'll, we'll take you out for some Chinese food. We ate at the worst Chinese restaurant you've ever eaten in your life. I'd say that if they were here. It was unbelievable. <laughs> right, Joe? It was killer, man. But you know what? I, did, I don't really know if, if even if it was the best, if I would have really enjoyed it. I just enjoyed Leroy and Sandy. I had the time of my life. We just talked, Bucky. We had a great time talking back and forth. This old guy's got some stories. He kept telling Joe. He'd tell Joe a story, right, Joe? And then he'd go, don't you do what I do. I hadn't been a good example. I got saved later in life, boy. You better be thankful you got saved early, boy, and you got a good mom and dad. I hope you realize that, son. Isn't that what he said? Through? I, we got in the car. I said, Joe, how many times did he tell you you better be glad you got saved when you were young. It was like five times. So we get back in the car after Leroy and Sandy. It's 3 o'clock now, maybe 10 till 3. We get in the car. We turn on the radio, and it's in the double overtime. God let us hear the last Arkansas score and defensive stand. So we did have a glory hallelujah fit on the way home. But that was after four hours of just living my life for others. Can I tell you, you're going to find this out if you'll try me, that when you lay your life down and pick somebody else's up, it's a whole lot more enjoyable to live life. Got to settle it. Is, it going to be, is life going to be about you? You know what I think some of us need to do? Just get over ourselves. Just get over us and invest our lives in someone else. Life is not about me. Number five, last one. Emotions versus mind and will. Get off the fence about this. Because so often we make decisions led by our emotions, our feelings. We make this choice. I want to say this this morning. I don't want to be led by my emotions because I know sometimes my feelings are not good. Sometimes, Caroline, I want to say things to you that I shouldn't say. So guess what? Sometimes when I feel like saying something, I don't say it because I don't want to go by my feelings. Sometimes I want to do something I shouldn't do. It's not the right thing to do. It's the wrong thing to do. It's not the right thing to do. But my flesh sometimes says, Eric, do that. And I have to say to my flesh, my feelings, no, I can't do that. Sometimes I want to go somewhere I shouldn't go. I shouldn't go there. That's not the right place to go. But I feel like it. Well, don't go by your feelings. Go by your mind and your will. You see, what I'm saying is I wonder how many people have gone where they never wanted to go, led by their feelings. The worst phrase ever been said is, if it feels good, do it. Just take that slogan out of your book. Don't live by that. So how do you make a hard decision? Get off the fence. And we'll quickly go through these last three. Number two, how do you make a hard decision? Number two, you got to flee Satan's cruelty. Satan is cruel. He will, listen, 
He hates you. He's a roaring lion. You're going to see in your notes, he goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Satan is cruel. So guess what we need to do from, about Satan? Run from him. Run from him. Look here in verse number 20. Uh, let's take it in verse 25. Let's pick up in verse 25 of chapter 18 as we kind of go through the rest of the story. So Elijah says to the prophets of Baal, choose you one bullock for yourselves and dress it first. For ye are many and call in the name of your gods, but put no fire under it. Won't be any need for fire. Elijah already knew that the God of heaven was going to send down fire. Verse 26, and they took the bullock which was given them and they dressed it. And here's what they did. They called on the name of Baal for six hours. From, from morning until noon. That's the first thing they did. Oh, Baal, hear us. 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 Can I stop now? I got the print. Is that enough? Is everybody okay with that? Six hours. Oh, Baal, hear us. From morning, 6 a.m. till noon. They just cried out for Baal to hear them. The problem is, Baal doesn't exist. He's a false god. And they put their faith in this false god, so they go to the second thing, because when there was no voice, verse 26, when they didn't hear anything, nor any that answered, here's what they did. Secondly, they began to leap around. They began to just contort their bodies to try to get Baal to see them. Kind of like somebody on an island trying to get the attention of someone flying over there. They're like, you know, hear us, see us. So Elisha begins to say things like this in verse 27. He says, maybe you need to cry louder. Maybe he's just hard of hearing. He's been around a while or something. Maybe he's old and just can't hear well. Or maybe he's talking. That's it. He's on his cell phone. Maybe he's just busy. So keep crying because soon enough he'll, he'll finish that phone call. Or maybe Elijah says he's on a journey. Maybe he's just taking a trip or peradventure. Hey, he could be sleeping. He'll eventually wake up. They kept crying and crying. And then verse 28, to me, is the saddest verse. Because verse 28 describes many false religions in the world today. They began to cut themselves. Cut themselves cut themselves and then, then the Bible says this it says they did it with knives till the blood gushed out upon them wow Whew. this is a true story this is what these people did in worshiping their false god can I make the statement today that there's only two religions in the world number one the God of the Bible, the creator of the universe, who revealed himself through Jesus Christ, his son, for whom we will remember today at 5 o'clock. That was a good place for an amen. I mean, if you're for that God, this might be a good time to make it known. The God of the Bible, the creator of the universe, who revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ. There's that God. And then, 
There's all the other world religions authored by Satan himself. Every one. Every single one is authored by Satan himself. And there's two things about those false religions. There's two things that are usually true about them. Number one is this. Most of them say this. Do it yourself. Work your way. Be good. Do this. Do that. Most of them say, you got to get better. Self-improvement. Self-effort. Secondly, many of them have some form of self-injury. Islam. Many others. Cut yourself. Cut yourself. Hurt yourself. Somehow... That's an expression of devotion. But I have a question. Would a God that loved you want you to injure yourself? Would a God that loved you want you to hurt yourself? You see, when God says no about something in Scripture, do you know what the interpretation of that no is this? Don't hurt yourself. God loves us so much that he knows what we should not do and what we should do. God doesn't want us to hurt ourselves. He loves us too much. Therefore, he sent his only son to die for our sins in our place to take all the pain for us so that we would not have to spend an eternity in a place called hell. What a mighty God we serve. Get off the fence. I'll give you this one real quick. Get off the fence and destroy all idolatry. Anything that comes before God... I mean, listen, make the decision that you're not going to put anything else in front of God but the one and only true and living God. See, that's what, that was the decision here. They needed to make that decision. But sometimes we tend, without even realizing it, to put something in front of God, something ahead of God. This is something I have to work at all the time. I have such a tendency to put things in front of God, to put money in front of God, to put my family in front of God, to put my church in front of God. I struggle with that. Maybe nobody else here does, but sometimes these idols come in my life. Anything, idols, anything, anything that comes before God. Got to destroy all those idols in our lives. Got to put God first. And then finally, get off the fence and honor God totally. And I want to close with a few thoughts about this. I want you to see it in the story first. Would you do that with me? It's, it's there. It's there. It begins in verse 30. It's pretty awesome. In verse number 30, it says that Elijah says to all the people, come near unto me. And all the people, verse 30, came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. Please pay attention to verse 32. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. Honor God. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood. And then Elijah said, hey, fill, fill four barrels with water and pour them on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And then do it a second time. Verse 34, do it a third time. 
Verse 35, and the water ran about the altar, and he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said. Here it is. Listen, church. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. God, everything I've done, everything I've said has been because of you. I want to honor you, God. And I wonder this morning if there's some areas of our lives that just aren't quite honoring God. Could I suggest, number one, we need to honor God with our time, our schedule. Thank you for coming this morning. Can I tell you what this says for many of us this morning that are here this says we, we want to honor God with the first day of the week. Amen? That's what this is. Keep this day holy. Don't let anything come between you and this day. This is a special day. This is a day that God said to set aside, to come together as a church and to worship Him. This is not a lake day, at least in the morning. This is not a golf morning. This is not a deer stand morning. Sunday is, is all for God. And Monday ought to be forgotten, Tuesday ought to be forgotten, but I think you know what I mean. I think you know what I mean. This is God's day. A special day set aside, a day of rest, a day to worship God in a, in a special way as a corporate church. And we're going to honor God with our time, our schedules. Tonight's the Lord's Supper. I encourage you to try to make it back with us. You say, well, why aren't we doing the Lord's Supper anymore on Sunday morning? Because honestly, it's just too quick. I just feel like I can't really enjoy it. I can't seem to really be the kind of pastor who takes the time. I just feel like it's all about quick, 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 so we can have enough time to get you out on time. And so I really have felt the Holy Spirit saying, Eric, remember me with some honor, with some adoration. And so God let the elders to agree. We all agreed. It wasn't my decision. They all agreed. Let's try Sunday nights at 5. Please try to come back today and honor God, if you can, at 5 o'clock. Honor God with our time. What about this? Honor God with our talent. If you've been gifted, if God's given you a gift, share it. Well, you know what we're going to begin doing at the first of the year? I don't know if anybody's going to, everybody's going to do this, but I'm going to pray that everybody does. We're putting on our website a spiritual gifts test. And we're going to ask every church member presently attending our church to fill that to take that test it'll take you an hour maybe two you'll have to answer some questions but we would like for everybody in our church to know you've been gifted by god that your dna spiritually has a gift that without you in this church our church can't function at full capacity because you're not using your gift and i don't want to be guilty of not helping you find it out so when you find that gift out hey use it for god Maybe you've got a gift to sing. You can sing. You've got a voice. Sonia will have choir practice for the Christmas program. And I know they've been doing this already, but at 6 o'clock today, hey, use that gift for God. Number three, what about our treasures? I'm thinking about our, our little card that we filled out for the Faith Promise Missions. And this is how we support Chantha Chim. This is how we support uh, Dale Briley. This is how we support Mike Coop. Amen. This is how we support uh, Flint Gutweiler, the, the, the builder. This is how we support, give me, give me the other one. Well, Kevin Connor, we're taking on. Portugal, thank you. Elson, Portugal. 
in, in, in Brazil. This is how we support our missionaries. This is how we, we get behind them and push them forward. This is it. And, and, and let's honor God by, by giving to Faith Promise. And I know the conference is over, and I wanted to put one more plug in because we have added Kevin to our team, and he's going to have some great needs because he's switching to our church from another ministry. And it's gonna, he'll lose some support. And he'll need us to make up the hedge. Let's honor God with that. And then finally, let's honor God in our trials. Are you going through something today? Is there some kind of a burden? Listen, we're going to remember Chris Hall on Saturday at at 11 o'clock, by the way, not 5. At 11 o'clock, we're going to honor Chris Hall. We're going to remember her life, right? Can I tell you something about Chris? Even in that trial of cancer for the past three years, she was an amazing witness for God. I could not believe how she sacrificed her time. She'd walk up those three flights of stairs. I almost felt cruel. But she said, preacher, don't move my classroom. This is my class. This is where I've been for many years. This is where my library is, my reading room. As long as I can walk up those stairs, I want to teach the children the gospel life. Chris honored God till the day she passed from this life to the next. Let's honor God with our lives. With what time we have left. And then in closing, and I'll read the last few verses, 37 through the end. Hear me, O Lord, hear me. Elijah says that this people may know that thou art the Lord God. And that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell. And consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust. And licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it. They fell on their faces and they said, not, oh, Baal, hear us. But they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said, take the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And Elijah says to Ahab, get thee up, eat and drink. There's a sound of abundance of rain. There's a sound of abundance of rain. God. God moved because Elijah said, let's make a decision. And maybe the reason why the waters in our life are stagnant and dried up and our Christian lives are dried up and our marriage is dried up is because we've got to make some decisions. You know, my wife and I went to the I Still Do simulcast a week ago. And one of the things we haven't done in a long time in our marriage is knelt beside the bed and prayed. We've prayed together, but not like that. We just didn't. We just have gotten kind of dried up, to be honest, in our prayer life together. Dennis Rainey gets up there and he challenges us. And he says, text this number into your phone and I'll send you a prayer reminder every day to pray with your wife. Okay. Point of decision. I texted it. Who else did that? Anybody else in the room getting those texts? Good. I texted that. I've been getting a prayer reminder every day. So guess what happens now at night? Caroline and I kneel by our bed. We pray. We read what, what, what the prayer challenge is and we pray. We ask God to, to meet this particular situation in our marriage. Here's what I'm saying. It's starting to rain on my prayer life with my wife again. It was dried up. But I'm hearing the sound of abundance of rain now. Because I've made a decision. I've made a decision. I'm no longer going to be in between. I'm not going to waffle. I'm not going to pray sometimes and say I'm too tired some nights. I'm not doing that anymore. 
I'm going to make a decision. I don't care how tired I am. I don't care how excuses I have. I don't care if I go to bed first. If she goes to bed first, we're going to pray. Amen. So guess what? It's raining again in the Capace home on our prayer life. Thank you, Jesus. What is it you need some rain today? What's dried up in your life? What's dried up? And let me ask this. Is the, is the decision you need to make salvation? Is there somebody here that needs to trust Christ as their Savior? Is it eternity that's at stake? Are you halting between the decision of, I just don't know. I Say yes today. He'll save you today. Is it church membership? It was for someone this morning came forward and said, look, I'm just, I've been sitting in this 9 o'clock service for six months. I just can't sit there anymore, preacher. I'm joining we had a 55-year-old lady walk the aisle, been a member of our church for three years this morning, and say, I'm rededicating my life to Christ. I'm just rededicating it. I'm tired of being in the middle. I'm tired of being lukewarm. Awesome. What about you? Let's pray, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you need to come, if God's touching your heart, you don't have to make it public if you don't want. Honestly, it's more about just the decision that God would lead you to make at the altar. But if you need to be saved today, I'm going to be up front. My, my fellow elders, Matt and Doug, will be up front. Robert, if you need to talk, if you need to pray, if you want someone to talk to you about a decision, join the church. If you need to do something like that, you, you just come see us. We'd love, to, we'd love to pray with you about that. Father.